Good evening. You are listening to the Yenna podcast. Today, tonight, is the 20th of December, and we are recording this early so I can put it in the can so that we can release it to you when we are all away enjoying our Christmas holidays uh, before the New Year's. And uh, so uh, I am Craig, and joining me tonight, I have Bronwyn, who is muted. God. Well, on, I, I, I am trying Come to do. I'm trying to do five things, but yes, I am here. Hello, how are you what all? Do you, what do you mean five things? Five things. <laughs> okay, all right. We will get to that. We have Mark. Hey, it's me. I'm back. And yeah, yeah. You get on my butt. You get on my butt because I'm 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 muted. Who was late by about forty five minutes? <laughs> Oh, more than that. In the end, I was going to be about two hours late for our last podcast recording. Hence, I wasn't on it at all, sadly. And everybody missed me, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, but have you listened to what we said about you? No. Should I? (laughs) Yeah, I think you should. Oh, oh, okay. And also joining us this evening, we have a special guest, Robin. Welcome, Robin. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, yes, you should definitely listen, Mark. We definitely badmouthed you, and uh, it's always good oh, to listen to yourself. Okay, no, that's fine. But bad mouthing me is par for the course. I'm I'm all good with that. Sure. Okay. But I I will listen because it's not got me in it, and I hate listening to my voice. But my podcast or our podcast without my voice, I can actually listen. <laughs> I think over time you get used to to the sound of your own voice, and I. Always used to cringe when I heard my voice recorded initially, but now I don't mind it so much. I don't know whether my voice has changed or whether I've just now become more used to it, or maybe in the the Zoom generation, uh, we're now more used to hearing our own voices. So who knows? Yeah, it's it's not it's not the voice per se. It's what I say and the worry that I'm going to say something dumb or use the wrong word and you know stuff something up that that's my concern is oh my goodness i got that wrong or i could have said that better that i really worry about that kind of thing okay well well mark at the risk of complimenting you too much i always think you come across very well (laughs) i'm not looking for compliments stop it i hate compliments just okay can't take a compliment either all right no i know i'm an awful person Bronwyn, do you want to briefly tell us about these five things that you're working on? Oh, look, given that um, we're just proper, um, doing this recording about oh, a week early, um, I'm overdue on a, go- a CV for a governance role. Um, I'm also doing all of our show notes and trying to find this ideal picture because I have to do something after the podcast, so I don't have time to do it then. Um, you make I'm it also, sound like you're the only one who has to do something after. No, the I just, I, I, it's just you know, if I, if those, if I, I just don't find that right picture that's the right pixel size, I'm going to hear it. Um, and fourteen hundred by fourteen hundred, Bronwyn, exactly. JPEG <laughs> compressed to eighty percent, please. Yeah, no. Nah. Um, <laughs> Oh, all good news on the podcast name. Nice, very nice. I'll tell you what, we should all be like Robin because Robin just turns up and all she has to do is talk and she doesn't have to edit or do anything else. It must be great, Robin. (laughs) And she can drink wine. It's certainly easier than my day job. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what, looking after children at the moment? Playing Minecraft all day, yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) That sounds like a hard job. Oh, it's awful. (laughs) Okay, shall we actually start talking about some topics? 
Yes. Um, yes. Yes, please. Yeah. So, Mark, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote a sceptical perspective on rejuvenating batteries by boiling them. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, don't do it is basically the the lesson here. Um, so yeah, the story came about because I was um I was just scrolling idly through Facebook, and one of my Facebook friends, one I've talked about before, who's kind of ended up down the the rabbit hole. She posted a video about how to recover your batteries. The idea being that the battery industry is lying to you and saying you can't recharge batteries when actually you can and you do it by boiling in water um and i saw this and it was like oh my goodness i like if anybody's actually boiling their batteries in water this is going to be a scary thing um and it's the same it's similar or reminded me because it's quite similar to a um another scam that's online and this one seemed to be a bit more dangerous which was the idea that large batteries like the big old lantern batteries that you used to be able to buy and other kind of big square batteries there are scams around online or, or just kind of you know conning people videos that um tell people that if they cut these open they're just full of double a's or triple a cells or oh, oh, uh, old craig cells full of double a cells is double a a cell Oh, right. Sure, sure. That was my cue to be pedantic, but yeah, do it. consists of multiple cells and a um, and what you called a cell there is actually, yes, just a single cell. Right. Which is a single anode and cathode and electrolyte material between them. And like often a cell is 1.5 volts, right? So if you've got three volts, it might be two cells. It depends upon the chemistry. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so the, the standard... AA cells have a nominal low on low voltage of 1.5 volts. When they're new, you might get something like 1.6 volts. The interesting thing about the um, rechargeable batteries, such as um, nickel hydrides that you might use instead of uh, a standard um, AA cell, is they have a lower uh, voltage. So they might be only 1.2 volts, which means that they're not necessarily suitable for all the applications that yeah, uh, you might have a have a normal AA battery in. Right. So so yeah, so my article talked about just how, you know, there is no conspiracy. Big battery is not um is not lying to you where you can actually just boil your batteries and get life back. That actually there are various ways of bumping a little bit of extra life out of disposable batteries that you can drop them, you can bang them on the side of a table. You know, I've seen people before take um double A batteries out of a remote control and give them a smack, put them back in, and where they weren't working, suddenly they start working again. But what's happening here is that because it is a chemical reaction, because they're there are kind of dry, most uh, batteries these days are dry cells, but there's like a paste and a couple of metals in there. There are chemicals in there that when you bang it, you mix it up a little bit. You know, a bit of percussion will maybe get a little bit more reaction going and you can squeeze some more out. Um, and my conclusion was you can't recharge a disposable battery if you want to be able to do that by rechargeables. And it wasn't long after that that we received an email from Barry, an ex-committee member. Um, I think his words were that I was dead wrong, which I absolutely loved. And you will be able to read his response um, in my first newsletter at the beginning of next year. But he basically said that actually, although it might not be advised 
to recharge disposable batteries. It is possible and it does work, um, presumably because they're not designed for it. There's probably a higher risk than with a rechargeable of something going wrong. But he's given some references to, um, I think, electronic trade magazines that talk about this. And he talked about how back in World War II, um, especially in a time of need, that it was very, very usual for um, people to recharge disposable batteries just by running a current back through them and reversing the chemistry inside, which um, is was news to me. I didn't realize that it was that simple to do um, yeah. and fascinating. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's quite that, quite that simple, really. It's So when you have a rechargeable battery, it is designed to be rechargeable, um, whereas you, your standard non-rechargeable battery is is designed to run down, but you might be able to get some more life out of it by using some of these weird techniques to um, to to sort of bring it back to life. But you're never going to get another full charge out of it that that you would from a fresh battery. Um, and yeah, the um, the banging the banging the batteries sort of reminds me of uh, my my childhood experiences as a scout. You would have your your torch with the batteries running down and then you gave it a shake and the, it would come back to life again. So that was obviously that sort of um, application of that principle of shaking up the the electrolyte inside the uh, the battery in order to get a bit more, bit more current out of it. But yeah, it, it was an interesting one. And, you know, the take home messages don't, don't boil your batteries. I mean, they've got acid in them. You know, the video that was shared on Facebook that I was reacting to, um, the guy was pulling the batteries out of this hot water and one of them, the casing had shrunk and he was, oh, don't worry about it. If it shrinks a bit, it's just the plastic casing. It's like, which well, the plastic casing that's keeping the acid in? You know, if, it, if this is being compromised, there's a risk of this acid coming out. And the acid might not be the worst in the world, but it, it's probably going to bleach your sofa if you leave the battery lying there or leak out and um, and rust the contacts of whatever electronics you put it in. So then you end up having to go in there with sandpaper to clean it back out again. It's just, you know, it it's just not worth it for boiling them, especially given that it's really not going to do anything useful for you. Mm. Mark, are you a shill for big battery? <laughs> I am. I Well, at least now we've recorded this podcast episode. I have been promised that my check will be in the mail <laughs> as soon as they have heard this. So I'm looking forward to the big bucks rolling in. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, yeah, let us know when those checks arrive, unless you've got an NDA. I don't want to let you know when my check arrives because you'll be claiming that the skeptics own half of it or something like that. This is all my money. I've worked for this. This is my shill cash that I'm getting. Right. Yeah. So don't bore your batteries. I think that's um, yeah, just a bit weird, really. And <laughs> and to be to be clear, what Barry was saying. Nothing to do with boiling batteries. <laughs> no, no. He he was that basically there are ways of using uh, electrics and electronics that you can you can run current back through a disposable, and you can start to recharge it again. That you can you can reuse them in a time of need. But yeah, not boiling and usual run of things. Don't recharge your disposables. Buy a rechargeable. Yeah, indeed. Very good. Uh, so, Robin, we've got you on to talk about your experience with EVs. And, um, yeah, love to hear the perspective of yet another EV owner. Oh, hang on. You, you missed the segue there. This is 
that this is the danger of batteries in EVs, surely. Oh, I mean- right. Okay. So, Robin, are you boiling your batteries in your EV to get more rain? <laughs> no, apparently I'm not allowed to even get the car wet, according to some people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As uh, Marcus pointed out before, I've just finished a science degree, so that was exciting. Um and part of the science degree, I did a paper called um, Climate Change in the New Zealand Context. And it's the first university paper, in, and I've studied for 11 or 12 years, and where they offer you a psychiatrist. So <laughs> it was like, if you guys want to go and see the counsellor at the university before we, for any of the content in this paper, then we invite you to do that. It's free. You just tell them you're doing this paper. And I was like, holy moly, what have I got myself into? <laughs> wow. So this is the reality of climate change and just how dire it might be. Yeah, because we were hearing from the actual scientists and um, they have a, are more a bit more severe than what we get from the IPCC, which remembering is a intergovernmental panel on climate change. So they do a lot of negotiating and a lot of um, trying to consensus in the science, whereas when you talk to actual scientists who are at, at the front end, they're like, oh, no, it's much worse than that. So, mm. yeah, so we were like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun, fun six weeks. <laughs> wow. That, that's a really interesting point about consensus, though, isn't it? Because I remember arguing with climate change, denying people in the past that science is not about consensus, and they were using that idea of consensus as saying that the scientists have got it wrong because they're trying to get this consensus. Whereas what you're saying now is that the reality of this from, that you hear from the actual scientists is actually worse than what people are being fed from the media, I guess. Well, yeah, because the IPCC is, is all about negotiating what they're going to do, and, and that happens through the, the huge amount of reporting that they do. Um, and what happens they from talking to people who've done the process is they get into a room and they spend years doing this and they go through all the science and then they go, well, these we agree on this part of the science, and but this is the edge of the science, and maybe some scientists don't agree completely, or they've got a different opinion of why or whatever, and and so they have to negotiate that because they have to agree on everything that goes in those reports, and then after the scientists have done all their work, then the governments come in and then uh, talk about what they're willing to do or what they think is happening, and so. It's it's bad when the IPCC say it's bad because now you've got more people agreeing and the consensus has gotten stronger. Um, so the stuff coming out from the last report and as I'm just like, wow, that's that's bad because <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're agreeing with it now, whereas previously they might not have been agreeing with some of the language. Um, yeah, I, I remember hearing the outcomes of those reports back sort of a decade or two ago where they were reporting it as now, oh, we're 95% certain that uh, that global warming is human-caused, and then it go- and now that's not even such a, a thing, really. It's like there's no there's no doubt at all. It's, it's definitely human-caused. Now what the hell do we do about it? Yeah, yeah, so there's, um, there's that, and there's lots of disagreement about how to do that now. So... Mm. Um, so uh, I guess EVs are one of the things that people can uh, do something if you need to have a car. I mean, I didn't have a car until I was 30, 
because they just use public transport or bike. Um, but where, where we are in the Wairarapa, we have to have a, a vehicle of some kind because the public transport system is shockingly awful. So we had a petrol car, and but uh, two years ago, about two years ago, we bought the, the leaf. So it's only a little leaf. Its range is about 100, 120 kilometres. Um, as I said in my article, I can drive from home to the university and back, and I have to charge an upper hut to get back over the hill. So, and even, I mean, I've done trips where I haven't even had to charge to get back home. So it just does quite well. Mm. So I was, so yeah, we went to the school, the our school does a fundraiser, which is great. Um, and these guys organized it. We didn't have to pay very much for the site fee, but we were like all going to lined up and all going to be judged and have our cars looked at by the well, these people and there were going to be awards and trophies and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, yeah, whatever. We're just going to talk about our cars. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> when we got there, that was the surprising part. And I, I know the organizers. I've known them for quite some time. And they said, oh, no, you guys are going to have to go over there because you can't come and park with us because we're worried you'll blow up. So this is all the electric cars were asked to move to another part of the location away from the petrol cars? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we were at the, the – because the sports field's quite large, and so we were at the far end away from everybody. And uh, so people had to walk quite a way to get over to us. So even even when they started lining up the, um, the petrol cars – they still kept this really big sort of berth around us, avoiding us completely. So their their lines got shorter so they'd be further away from us. <laughs> Sorry, I'd have to say just really quickly that I was very happy having read this. I, I needed to get some images for the newsletter article, and I actually managed to find an image on the Facebook page for this event of you guys with your electric cars just off in the distance under some trees away from everybody else. And you, you look so lonely over there. Um, was, but I, I was, was really happy lovely. I found it. <laughs> quite lovely under the trees, to be honest, because <laughs> it was quite a hot day. But we had a marquee. Some of the, the guys had been... They'd been to go green and they, they had all the gear and they were all really organised and so they brought a mm. little shade thing and we sat under there and we talked about our cars, mostly with each other. Uh, some kids came over and got to sit in the Teslas and were like, oh, there's a Tesla, yay. I talked to some parents about the leaf, pointed at the child seat restraint clippy things, so they were happy about that. And, yeah, my car was the lowest range there and, yeah, it was just really funny. It's like you have to go over there in the back. And I was like, but you guys drive Molotov cocktails. What are you doing? <laughs> so was this, was this actually a car show? Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a fundraiser. It was a car show. And these guys organise one every year. Right. Um, uh, and so, so you were the oddballs that were driving these funny little electric-powered uh, vehicles, were you? Yeah, yeah. It was just really weird. And um, so, of course, standing in the paddock in the, in the sports field going, what are they talking about? How many cars catch fire in New Zealand? Um, so I couldn't find any stats for New Zealand, uh, but I did know that there had been one recently, or like a few months before, which apparently was quite epic because it's quite hard to rapture the the traction batteries. So they're, they're the big batteries in the in the bottom of the skate, mm. and um, they're quite well protected. They've got firewalls and all sorts of extra metal underneath them to make sure they're quite hard to rupture. But this person had an accident and managed to rupture one. It's very sad. But, I mean, I've never had any heating trouble with mine. I mean, it goes, the battery warms up when you fast charge it. I mean, it's all within tolerance. Um, None of the others had ever had problems. So I had to go looking for statistics overseas. 
because I was, was not in New Zealand. I need to do an OIA, I think, to the Ministry of Transport just to check, although they might not know anyway, that really electric cars are the least fire-prone of all cars. And surprisingly to me, it was the plug-in hybrids are the worst. So right. they, they okay. tend, they've got two systems, because the battery system and the petrol system, and sometimes they don't interact well, apparently. And so they're more oh. prone to catching fire. Yeah, so all the fires that we've had in New Zealand, apart from now two, are from hybrids rather than just electrics. Yeah. Uh, so as I as I understand it, the the mechanism generally for a fire would be that there has been some mechanical um, disturbance of the battery, which then causes it to um, short out and then catch fire, and then it's and if that happens, then it's very difficult to stop the fire because you've got this um, power source that's sort of continually um, being able yeah. to provide the energy to, to keep going. But and the, the, the lithium gets quite hot, yeah. Yeah, but the instances of, of batteries spontaneously catching fire are extremely low. Um, extremely, and if you yeah. compare, if you compare what happens in an accident in a petrol vehicle, um, <laughs> well, it's much more likely to actually, actually catch fire. <laughs> uh, um, so apparently when, um, I've been told this, I haven't read it, but if when when you have an accident in your leaf and the airbags go off, there's a, a physical, the physical connection between the drivetrain and the, uh, the battery snaps, it breaks. And so the oh, battery is no longer connected to anything. So that isolates the battery. And as long as you don't rupture the battery pack, the battery will just stay there, even if another part of the car is on fire, because they're so well protected. And apparently you can drive leaves through like 70 centimetres of water and nothing will happen to the battery. So that's exciting. Um, can you test that, that for us with your leaf? Is that possible? No, I love my baby. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Well, but, but yes, definitely um, an electric car is going to go better in water than a, an internal combustion engine because if you get water into the into the exhaust, it, you, oh, yeah, you it stops, yeah. But as, yeah. uh, so, Robin, as as well as this fear, this unfounded fear that, you know, you were basically driving a ticking time bomb onto the sports field. It sounds like from your article that you had a whole bunch of other questions like, can you drive an electric car in the rain? Right. Oh, yeah. So this happened. Actually, that question came out a few years ago. An organization, a community organization got basically given an electric car to use for a year by, by a, a power company and they set it all up. But some of the people who were volunteering refused to drive it in the rain because they were worried they'd get electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> and they were concerned about washing as well, but washing the car. But I wash right. my car in water. It's fine. Um, I did get told off for using um, dishwashing soap, so I had to buy actual proper car washing soap because apparently dishwashing soap will damage the seals around your windows and stuff. Uh, um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had some questions that were pretty standard that I get a lot and um, the whole, what are you going to do with the batteries when they're all run down after a year? And it's like, uh, you do know that leaf batteries have been running for like 11 years. <laughs> there's there's yeah. leaves in New Zealand that are 11, 12 years old and they just keep going. Their range isn't very large, but they still, if they drive you to the train station, that's all you need them to do, then that's fine, right? Um, so, that, so there is an organisation set up by the government called the Battery Industry Group, 
um, and that was set up in 2019. And their task is to look into what to do with all these battery car batteries that are going to end up being expired and unusable, blah, blah, blah. But they're actually the, the problem at the moment is they're not getting enough to experiment on because people are using them. Like our plan is to put our leaf battery eventually, um, once it can't drive the car around, as an extra power wall because mm. it will store electricity just fine, but because it, it doesn't have to move around at that point, it's plenty, right? You have yeah, to run most that, of the house. And, yeah, and the reality of that is that you need a lot more energy in a, in a car battery in order to go a reasonable distance than your house actually uses. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so that is that is certainly a good use for um, EV batteries once they are no longer good enough to run a car, which I think a lot of people just don't don't realise that that fact. I've had yeah. that um, sort of factoid thrown at me as well, um, and I I kind of get the feeling that a lot of these sort of ridiculous sounding uh, comments are all being fueled um, by fossil fuel companies essentially as just propaganda and misinformation around EVs in order to protect their interests. Uh, yeah, this morning I um, I found some, was it one of my friends or something had posted this 10, 10 facts about EVs and they're all bad. And they go, there's not, enough, there's not enough range and there's not enough choice. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know all of the names of the EVs anymore. I used to like, oh, Tesla, tick, uh, leaf, sure. And that was all I had to know. But now there's so many I don't know all the names. Mm. Um so there's lots of them around. And we had Tesla's minis and Kia's. The minis are so cute. Oh, my gosh. Mm. It might be my cri- midlife crisis car. <laughs> but <laughs> And the, the detailing. I just love the detailing on the minis. They've actually gone to a, a, gone to some prob- some trouble making sure that they look really snazzy. Yeah, um, this is the countryman-sized mini, isn't it? Are the, um, no, they're quite small. They're almost oh, okay. exact. Almost, I think. Uh, see, I don't. I can't remember what Mini Coopers are like, but they're about the same size. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. They're, not, they're pretty uh, small. I've seen one around my neighbourhood. All oh, right. Um, yeah, it was, it was certainly bigger than the original Mini. It probably is. I can't remember because I grew since I last saw Mini. So, oh, what else was there? Oh, they can. Someone complained. Constant complaint about the range. Oh, I can't drive from here to Auckland. It's like, mm, do you, sure. does nobody stop? <laughs> what about going to the toilet? <laughs> the children run around. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm always laughing at that because I don't. I don't really know anyone who doesn't stop at some point on the trip. And with the Kias and the Teslas, you can only have to charge once or twice to get up the island. So, yeah, I don't know what that, why that's a problem. But it seems that people seem to have. Oh, I need to be able to drive 500 kilometers in my car. If I can't do that, it's not good enough. This, it's a real mental block for some people. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, um, it's a matter of getting used to it, I think. Um, I mean, the way I think about it is that I plug my car in when it needs charging and um, I have saved all that time that I have to go and spend at a service station. Um, and so if I have to stop a little longer when I'm doing a long trip to charge, that's sort of not a real problem. Um, no, no. Someone, because I said, oh, it takes hours and hours to charge. I'm like, yeah, on the three-point mm. plug at home when I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, the, what else are we, what else did they complain about? The infrastructure is often, the infrastructure is improving all the time. And then we've got ChargeNet, but there's Z and BP are putting in, in charges now. So they're, they're uh, trying to keep up with that, which is good, and they still have to go to a garage, but 
that's fun. Mm. So yeah, I think the the thing that really annoyed me about the event was this the the organizers going, Well, you guys gotta go over there because you're gonna blow up. And it's like <laughs> and it's a bit disappointing that those particular people were, were spruiking that misinformation, mm. which is which I found disappointing. I just got a question. Um, some of the stories that we see overseas, they talk about electronic vehicles and you think, oh, it's they're talking about the car, but actually they're talking about a wide range of electric vehicles like the e-bikes and the e-unicycles and the um, in India and so on, you have the um, electric rickshaws. Um, so potentially there seems to be maybe, you know, in terms of those fires, because you have a lot of those particular items, the rickshaws and the bikes, um, maybe sometimes the fires may be misrepresented as a car problem when it's really a sort of a smaller vehicle problem. But I just wanted to ask, um, in sort of some of these four markets where we are seeing quite a few of the fires or the fires are being reported, um, do you think there might also be an issue of mix and matching, you know, batteries that are, you know, foreign parts, you know, so you are sort of not, you're not sort of, how can I say it? You know, a Tesla vehicle isn't a wholly Tesla vehicle. Maybe it might be a frame and a different battery and that can sort of cause some problems or is that just not the issue whatsoever? No, um, it seems extremely unlikely. I mean, these the batteries are an integral part of each of these vehicles and um, it's extremely unlikely that, that anybody is going to be DIYing and replacing batteries um, mm-hmm. in, in these vehicles. They're just yeah, that- a specialist thing avoids a whole lot of warranties at that point i do so one of my friends who's in vietnam he has a electric bike and they have stations in vietnam where he just drives up takes out his flat batteries takes the the charged ones out of the wall plugs them in off he goes so that's how he recharges his bike and just keep going like that so that's pretty cool there was talk years ago about doing that with cars as well, the idea of being able to drop the battery out the bottom. But, of course, that needs the industry to agree on a standard and stick to it. And we know that's never going to happen. But the system that they're doing now seems to work quite well, right? I mean, it's like the, the whole bottom of the chassis is battery. It's just a kind of a massive, great tray of cells sitting in the bottom, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's quite heavy. So it's changed the way I drive, actually, because the car is – is really is bottom heavy because I went from like an MPV, a people mover that was a bit tippy to this um, leaf that had all the all the weight of the vehicle was underneath me. And it's definitely changed the way I drive. And I can drive a bit faster, but I don't. <laughs> I, Mark I, has already commented on my, my driving style. Yeah, Craig, <laughs> Craig definitely does drive faster. Well, but he's so got a Tesla, he should do, right? It is so much easier to drive faster because there's no engine noise to indicate how fast you're going. And if you're like me and have bifocals, I can't necessarily always see the speedometer. <laughs> oh, dear. So I just have to be aware of where I put my – how I look at things. But, yeah, that's, that's quite funny. It's, it's very easy, to, especially if I take it off eco. I can just put my foot down and not realise, oh, oh, see, slow down. <laughs> it's very responsive. Nice. And I, I get the feeling that's like pretty much standard for electric cars. It's just part of the design and having the the electric motors driving the wheels directly like that. That is just, you know, you put you put in more power and it just gives more oomph straight away, right? Oh yeah. Passing anxiety is no longer a thing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I can pass tractors really quick out here. It's great. I, I guess we should really should sort of say that um I guess in New Zealand, owning a car is pretty pretty high 
on everybody's list because our public transport is so so crappy and there are just times in a small country like New Zealand where you actually need some sort of personal vehicle that you can get around and most most people actually do need that but for people living in cities I guess it is nice to be able to use public transport particularly if it's, if it's a well laid out city um, that, that has that sort of facility but a lot of places in New Zealand you definitely need to have a car. But I think I think New Zealand's also atypical in that you know eighty percent odd of all our power generation is renewable, right? So in a lot of countries, when you drive an EV, it is being powered from coal-powered fire stations, etc. But over here, you know that most of it's going to be hydro and some geothermal and a bit of wind, etc. So uh, I think actually in this country, it seems to be pretty much the ideal country to be having an electric vehicle. Yeah. Mm. So um, geothermal is considered our base um, our base generation because it generates approximately the same amount all the time regardless. Sorry, I studied this in a paper. Um, <laughs> and so ge- geothermal is the base. Um, and you then do hydro- not need to apologise on this podcast for geeking <laughs> um, out about something. <laughs> I applied for a job and looking at electricity and I totally geeked out. Um, uh, so hydro is next and then we've got wind and so at the moment we are, because I can see the the stats, um, we're running at ninety six percent renewables, and we are burning eighty three megawatts of coal. That's coal's generating eighty three megawatts, but no gas at the moment. Um, and so, we're, but we've had days where they've burnt no coal and no gas, so it's like ninety seven, ninety eight percent renewables, which is really good. Mm, um, right, and. We've got more geothermal coming online soon. Oh, do so, we? That's and, interesting. Yeah. And and people, next... people tend to charge their cars uh, in the dead of night when yep. when they're off peak, which means that it's more likely that um, virtually all of the generation will be from renewables. So we've got this thing called the peak load. So that's the, e- the evening peak load and there's a morning peak load. But the evening peak load is the biggest, and it sort of goes from about 5, 5.30 until about 9 o'clock at night as people come in from work and put the dryer and the washing machine on and cook tea and watch TV. Um, and then by 9 o'clock, that's petering off. And so that's when I plug my car in is after 9. I mean, if I drove every day, I might set up the automatic charging program, but I don't, so I don't bother. Uh, so it's really good. Just And also I run the dryer now after 9. Now I know about that. I'll run the dryer after 9 um, or during the day when, but not in the peak load because I know the peak load's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. which is a bit geeky, but there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoy learning about electricity, and I don't know why, but I did. But this, surely, Craig, this is a really good segue into the next topic that you want to talk about. Yeah. So when I wrote the newsletter this um, weekend, I talked just very, very briefly about the recent breakthrough they've had uh, in the US at what's called the National Ignition Facility. Um, so there's a there's this facility that's been running for several decades, which is essentially a research uh, facility where they're uh, researching fusion power or, or fusion reactions. Um, and so back about a week or so ago, it was announced that they had finally achieved ignition which means that they were able to uh, get a fusion reaction going where the amount of energy output uh, was more than the energy that was put in. So this is the this is the holy grail of um, 
fusion power in actually being able to generate more power from the fusing of those uh, atoms into a, a new element uh, than you need in order to it's um, it's not the that. holy grail. I'm I'm going to disagree with you here for many reasons. Really? One of which, okay. as far as I understand, this pointing lasers at something and making it implode and heat up, this is you're not collecting the energy from it. Another one is that it's it's only the energy that's being put in the energy to set the whole thing up and warm the lasers and everything else. None of that is included in this calculation, right? It's just energy in, energy out, and right. it's a positive one. So if you're producing actually practically a lot less energy than you're putting in and you're not capturing it this this is no holy grail this is just another step i mean this this place has been going for years firing its lasers and it's an awesome place as far as i understand it's more an experimental thing that you know this this small pellets of hydrogen is not how we're going to be generating electricity the tokamak or something like that like you know the donut reactors are more likely to be how we end up with sustainable power generation from hydrogen but it is interesting. It is. It is definitely one of those waypoints. One of those many, many semi-arbitrary waypoints that I'm sure scientists will put up, saying, "Hey, look, we've reached here, and it's all great, and it's all in the right direction." But as they promised so many years ago, as far as I understand, fusion is still 50 years away from being a viable energy production technology. Yeah, and so what what you're saying is correct um, in that the the tokamak. Um, reactor designs are designed for energy production, whereas what they've demonstrated uh, recently is a a scientific experiment to show that they were able. And in fact, listening to the the um, press conference where all the scientists are talking, uh, what they've managed to do is they've they've finally done this experiment where it was successful, where they've got this tiny little pea-sized container which uh, gets pressured in from the lasers and the, the hydrogen goes into the air and the and it fuses to form the helium and produce more energy so this is this is done as a scientific experiment to to prove it and in fact uh, the Department of Energy is doing this for essentially the Department of Defense because their their real purpose in doing this is to do research into um, what they call stockpile stewardship, which is where they are um, making sure that the nuclear weapons that they have are still going to work if they need to fire them. Uh, up until a couple of decades ago, what they used to do is actually go and do underground testing of nuclear weapons to, to in order to check that they would still work as they were designed. Um, and so now what they're doing is they are producing these um, these reactions where they can test this out without having to actually go and test the weapons themselves. But there seems to be kind of a hybrid uh, purpose to this where they the scientists on the panel were talking about how this was great this is a great advancement for the potential for generating electricity into the future as well. But they're saying it's it's still at least a couple of decades away, but this is a good step along the way. Um, yeah. So I, my I've understanding some of the, some of the, gonna... the science popularizers like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye talk about this, uh, and as well as um, Fraser Kane from the um, Astro podcast, something like that. Talk about this, and yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty upbeat about it, but they're not saying that this is how we're going to generate electricity in the next 
decade, this is, might be something that our grandchildren are experiencing. But if if it does work, then obviously it is a game changer because you can produce essentially abundant, uh, clean electricity that doesn't doesn't require fossil fuels, uh, which really changes yeah. the changes the game. So my my understanding of this kind of experiment is that it's all data, right? The the theoretical modeling and computer models will get us so far, but a lot of what we need to do is just test these things out and just just look at it. You know, you you fuse this together. What's actually going on? How much energy is generated? What are the what are the products that come out of this? Um, you know, how is how is the energy propagating through the material as it starts to fuse? Um, and you know, we can also do things like staring at stars and figuring stuff out from there. But the more data we have, the more we understand of how fusion works. And that's going to help us with future modeling in order to design those reactors that will actually give yeah. us enough energy that we can all recharge our EVs in the middle of the day without worrying about having to do it in the middle of the night, which will be great when we finally get to that point. Well, no, what will be great is when we have the Mr. Fusion from um, Back to the Future, where we just put the banana skin into that uh, thing, and that powers the car. (laughs) (laughs) Am I dating myself? Uh, Not only that, but you're showing a really bad understanding of science. (laughs) (laughs) I get all my science from Back to the Future. (laughs) Then we have a serious problem. Oh, dear. (laughs) But yeah, so so this is a great scientific scientific experiment. It's been a great advance, um, but realistically, it's yes, it's, it's decades away from being put into practical use. Uh, there are many many problems to be solved. The actual experiment, the the generation of the electricity or the, the energy, was happening for um, about a hundred trillionths of a second. Um, so. In order to scale this up, in order to actually produce useful energy out of it, you would need to somehow have the lasers continually firing and they've got these um, vessels that contain the hydrogen. Um, You need a a fuel source. So what they're talking about is using deuterium or heavy water from from outer seawater, but you also need uh, tritium as well, and that's um, extremely rare, and they can only get it from... um, nuclear power plants at the moment. Uh, is it tritium water, that water. there's more on the moon? Can we get tritium from the moon? It sounds, it sounds difficult to, to get. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, there's plenty of deuterium, but uh, just not, not much tritium. So they would need that. Yeah, it's very very much a scientific experiment, but uh, I'm, I'm hopeful as the, that, that this, will, this will turn out. Yeah, so I just looked it up. Apparently, 1.1 million metric tons of helium-3 are estimated to be present in the moon's regolith. Regolith? I've never figured out how to pronounce regolith. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's either it's either creating it on Earth, basically, or going up to the moon mm, and getting it from there. Because we are running out of helium. We're running out of helium. Um, what are we going to do for party balloons when we run out? This is awful. Well, this is this is the thing. Using helium and party balloons is really a bad thing. Yeah, and do you know why we're running out? From from what I understand, it's it's the US are basically artificially keeping the price low that the price would normally raise um, as it becomes rarer. But apparently, the US is is making sure the price is low. And I don't know why. I don't know whether they just really like parties. Yeah, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what? there is a, there is there's a limited amount of it on Earth. Um, <laughs> 
Yes, and a lot of it comes from when they um, when they drill for oil and gas. I understand there are kind of helium pockets captured within the rocks, and they can basically grab that as they're extracting. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but apparently, um, one of the byproducts of nuclear fusion would be helium. So this would allow us to increase our helium supply, which is how much though. Like- I mean, presumably a little bit of fusion gets a whole lot of energy. So are we really going to be making enough helium? Even when the whole world is using fusion, is it going to be enough helium to fill balloons? (laughs) Well, it's more about using helium for um, superconducting magnets and medical devices and things like that. Yes. Um, So MRI scanners and stuff. mm, Yeah, indeed. indeed. Sorry, I'm always interested when I hear about um, Defense uh, Department of Defense funding, because I always wonder about what experiments fail because the Titanic was part of a secret military mission as well, um, funded by the really? Department of Defense. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Now, yes. now this sounds like a conspiracy it theory. Is I'm not, it is not. No, it's a CNN <laughs> story. It's also Dr. Ballard. Um, they were, I think they were trying to find something else and they were using a the well, hang on, no, the, uh, this is the finding of the Titanic rather than the Titanic as a ship, right? Titanic, yeah, the finding of the Titanic by right. Woodtoll Institute. That was part of a, a, you know, of a yes. different mission. It was so. So is it J.G. Ballard was out looking for Robert, a Robert Robert, Robert Ballard. Ballard. J.G. Okay. J. G. Oh, he's, Ballard. he's the art, author. He, he, author. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Completely different the other, person. <laughs> the other Ballard. Uh, yeah. So he was out looking for. Was it a nuclear submarine that had sunk? Yeah. And then basically he was told by the military that he ha- if he had enough time left over, he could go and poke around for the Titanic as well, which he did. The Philadelphia experiment was real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to wonder about, you know, what experiments are the, are the Department of, is the Department of Defense funding that fail? Right. The fusion, the you... fusion is nuclear fusion successful. Finding of the Titanic, speci- um, you know, successful. What failed? I want to know about the failed experiments. Oh, I, now, now we're definitely sounding like conspiracy theories. Um, <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> experiments fail. You know, the uh, MK Ultra of- failed. Yeah. Um, Stargate failed. Um, there have been some crazy things that the military's tried that they really shouldn't have even have gone near. Mm. They should have known that remote viewing was not a thing without putting money into it. But no. They, they figured it was worth a shot just in case. I, I noticed that you mentioned uh, CNN there. I watched one of the uh, interviews on, on CNN. They had one of the guys talking about, uh, I don't know whether I can pronounce it right, but the way he pronounced nuclear was, uh, I can never I can never mispronounce nuclear. But nuclear? Nuclear? Nu- nu- nuclear. Uh, nuclear. But, Nuke, nuclear. nuclear is yeah. the George nuclear. W. Bush way of saying it. Nuclear. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he had this. They had the supposed expert on CNN and he's pronouncing it. Uh, go on, Mark. Say it. <laughs> I can't say nuclear. it. Nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. N u c u l a r. Imagine it like that, and you might be able to pronounce right. it. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And struggle to engage my brain to say it wrong. And I don't want to learn how to say it wrong. Just <laughs> in case it sticks. Wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah. So you're down on the, on the fusion energy as being something that we're going to get anytime soon. I think so. I think it's been a promise for a long time. And, you know, when we get it, it's going to be great. It is going to change the entire world. But it it's a lot of work, right, to control that, to 
to get that reaction in a way that we can pull usable energy. It's, you know, it, the more the more effort we spend on it, it almost feels like we're not spending enough effort on it. The sooner we can get mm. fusion viable, the better off the entire planet's going to be. But I don't think there's that much money that governments are throwing at it. And I think we probably need to spend more time on it. I've always been a big fan of engineering our way out of problems and engineering our way out of climate change. Geoengineering sounds really scary, um, I'm, especially given that governments can do it unilaterally. You know, if China wants to seed clouds and stuff like this, they don't have to ask permission from anybody else. So I'm worried that geoengineering is going to go wrong. So yeah, yeah, getting fusion working sooner rather than later is, that's what I'd like to see. So we're, we're going to get the snow pierce of future. Maybe. Maybe. If we let governments decide how to fix this last minute, this might be where we end up. Yes. There is a, there's quite a, a risk with holding out for technology to solve the climate change problem yeah. and, and that we could be waiting for another 50 years and screwing things up more for another 50 years. So we need to be fixing it with what we have rather than what we wish we had. And that's a mm. that's a constant discussion that I have with have, have had while studying and have keep having with other people, is that you have to stop waiting for the problems to be solved by engineering because it's not going to happen in your lifetime. So no, no, how about we just that, solve it with what we have now? But on the flip side, we won't. We you know the idea of going backwards, the idea of using less power and being more well behaved. This is not human nature. This no. is not how governments that need to be reelected work. So practically, much as yeah, that might be a good solution. You know, if we could step back until we'd solve these issues, um, that would be nice. But. I honestly can't see it happening. So I, I think plowing forward is the only thing that is possibly going to help us. Mm. Yeah, that, that, and yeah. that's a, a huge problem because we've done so much damage already that it's going to take a 1,000 years for the CO2 levels to come down unless we make them come down with carbon capture, but we can't successfully run carbon capture on a big enough scale. So there's another engineering solution that's not quite to scale that yeah. people try and hold on to. So it's just, I'm very cautious about going, yeah, there's this great new thing, technology, rah, rah, rah. I'm like, yeah, but is it affordable? Can we get it in mass production now? No, we can't. Well, let's work with what we have. So, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and indeed, there's also the other problem that we are using resources to build these technologies um, at a rate that's much faster than is sustainable anyway. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with EVs is that we can't, we can't physically replace EV for ICE vehicle. Like we can't replace them and still have, we've got like 1. No, 4.8 million cars in New Zealand. They're looking at the stats. There's a huge number of cars. And, and just, just quickly for the listeners that don't understand what an ICE vehicle is, it doesn't run oh. on ICE. It's internal combustion engine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> Too much lingo. Too much jargon. Bad me. Um <laughs> I mean, we can't re we can't just replace them with with EVs. We need to be doing walking and cycling, and taking public transport, um, which a lot of people don't understand. Still, like people I still talk to are like, "Oh, we'll just get an EV. EVs aren't going to solve it." Well, of course they're not. So <laughs> we have to do all of the things, um, yeah. which is the same banner that I take to every protest we go to now um, with the children. Uh, because we do need to do all the things. And whilst nuclear fission sounds great, it's just not to the point where it's usable yet. Yeah, uh, and and the world are shutting down their existing um, nuclear plants, unfortunately, which is a, a stupid thing. Yeah, I think Fukushima got people a bit frightened, and after Chernobyl, 
So fair enough. I have friends who were down the road from Chernobyl, so that wasn't great. We're not at a point where we can take our way out of this anymore. We just have to stop, but nobody wants to stop because it's not human nature to, to go backwards. So what do you do now? Yeah. Mm, indeed. <laughs> well, on that fun note. Me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> not sorry. Roman, do you yeah. want to tell us about the future that we're going to see in the tarot cards? Uh, well, there's no future because tarot cards are just pieces of paper and ink. They have no magic. They <laughs> do not, they do not uh, you know, open portals to demonic realms. Um, pretty much, you if you're going to go use a tarot card, um, you're kind of go or go or already going in setting up for your own win scenario. You know, you want you have a question that you're going in, and you always want to have a positive outcome. And but what you're bringing up there, Craig, is that we got a media request from uh, a, lo- a local newspaper wondering what our thoughts were on the market growth of tarot cards globally. <laughs> and I thought that was a very interesting question <laughs> from a very unusual uh- website. <laughs> I I wonder how they actually came up with this idea for a story. Did they mm. run across the statistic that somehow the sales of tarot have gone up by three percent or something? Uh, well, or, well, this, or what? Yeah. Well, well hang I, on. I, didn't didn't Katrina, um, one of our new committee members, say just the other day that given that it's the silly season now, the papers will print pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just looking for stories. Yeah, yeah, so they but, go but, to the skeptics. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, tarot cards, it's sort of a very Halloween type story, you know, Christmas, you know, I know that in British tradition or British folklore, you do tell a ghost story at Christmas time, but uh, tarot cards, not quite the fit. Mm. Um, and people who read the newsletter know that a few months ago, I did write about, you know, sort of this growing, you know, social media communities and Communities like Witch Talk and Witch Blur, you know, communities on Tumblr and TikTok where people can go on and they can share their pagan or Wiccan practices. Looking a little bit further, deeper into this to try to answer this question, we do see a trend in times of economic and social upheaval where we do see this uptick in, up in the uptake of spiritual practice, not always the esoteric and the occult, but even just Christian, you know, people do go, you know, people are seeking direction, they're seeking routine, and they're seeking some sort of empowerment. And if that means I'm going to church, and I'm giving money to this church to go to this activity, it makes all the difference to their mental health. Um, What the long term impact of that is going to be is a very different story. Mm. Um, And, you know, the examples of that are certainly within our recent memory. We think about the 1960s, the age of Aquarius, 1970s. We're seeing like a lot of these communes and all that stuff falling apart. We know this, like we've seen this in our, you know, in the day-to-day life. So why is that happening now? This sort of growth in tarot cards and particularly the website they provided with us said that the growth in the tarot card market, which I still laugh at the thought of that there's a tarot card market. Um, yeah, it was going to grow quite exponentially um, between from 2001 to 2006. And I guess, again, we can just sort of point it out that, uh, you know, it's a pandemic. That, that, that's that's 20, 20 years ago. What? 2021 to 2026? Oh, I thought, no, well, you said 2001 to 2000. Oh, did I? Did I? Sorry. Yeah. No, it's 2021, 2026. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, that's, um, you know, last year to, you know, um, right. four years from four years from now, which is a, but, you know, I guess they're sort of thinking that people are still going to be a little bit um, traumatized from the pandemic. 
Mm. Well, there's the other there's the other thing that's always been recognised is that as church membership declines, people mm. don't just become atheists or um, and no longer believe in anything. They search for things to replace their prior belief, and so it's quite likely that these occult type practices are going to be increasing because of of decrease in religiosity. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the joke I do make at the end of the article is that. Regardless, um, psychics and these sort of activities, what they fail to do is actually predict these big events in the first place. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yep. You didn't hear about COVID or uh, anything like that, did we? Yeah. Though, though, so, so, though, you know, you have a lot of people who are, you know, retros- retrospectively or retroactively making claims that, oh, yeah, no, no, I thought that 2020 was going to be a hard year because it's an election year. And that's always divisive. <laughs> so they can so sp- just related to this a few years ago in a pub robin your husband gave me a tarot card reading and he was really good at it but he's no psychic right no 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 he does it for um for fun um he just knows all the words to use um, he was and, really and- good yeah, yeah, he's a, but he's a really good actor as well. So he right. he he does the whole thing, and he has like some. He's done that at medieval because we do medieval enactment, and he's done that at events and completely freaked people out um, because he is so good at, at the the stories and the the storytelling, which is the thing that mm. that people remember. Yeah. And it seemed to be very heavy on the Barnum statements, you know, the things that um, really relate to most people, but also things yeah. that were ambiguous enough that, you know, talking about changes in life and things like this, that there was enough in there that I guess people, they they fit to their situation and suddenly it feels like it's all making sense. But I was impressed, you know, for a, for a guy who's a self-confessed skeptic, uh, he came across as very psychic, My, you know, and I'm a skeptic as well. So I'm, I'm just trying to, to be as sensible as I can about this reading, but I couldn't help but match what he was telling me to where my life was at the time. And I was like, damn, this is this is a really good skill to have. It's fascinating. Yeah, he's, he's good. At, he's also really good at Socratic dialogue. And I have seen him explode people's brains <laughs> using Socratic dialogue. They have just got so angry at him. They, they have just screamed. It's beautiful to watch. <laughs> but I know when he does it to me, so he gets pulled up. Because I've studied Socrates, so (laughs) he doesn't get away with it with me. But I've seen him do that to people. It's beautiful. So just just for a quick explainer for our listeners, so this Socratic dialogue would be essentially exploring people's beliefs by asking them questions. Is that? Oh, yeah. So exploring anything. So it's it's why. Okay. Hmm, Uh, The the earth is the earth is flat. Why why do you think that? It's walking people through questioning their own beliefs, isn't it? And it's 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 a way of asking a series of questions that gets them doing the work instead of you doing the work. Yeah, but you get to the point where there's no no more why, but you can't answer anything else. Um, because you get right down to the bottom. Um, but some people can't manage that emotionally, so they tend to right. explode. Um, but he's very good at it. It's, yeah, yeah, it is glorious to so, watch. Is, so th- this sounds very similar to the street epistemology technique. Is he aware? Is he familiar with that? Uh, well, he's a um, his undergraduate degree is in philosophy, so probably right. Um, he he used to prophetize the prophetizers in Auckland um, for fun, so he's quite good at arguing with people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we all got our start that way. <laughs> At least I did. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, um, but yeah, he does enjoy during the terrors. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think the last time, not when Mark was there, but we went to a medieval event and he completely freaked out this poor woman. But it did, he told her like in the beginning, because he said, This is make believe, this isn't real, um, it's all random, and there's all these tropes that you say when there's a pattern of of words, words that you use when you do it, but she's still got really freaked out and he hasn't done it since. So mm. yeah, just yeah. because of her emotional reaction. But it, yeah, it's, I told him he should totally do it at the market in town because there's so many people who are so gullible and they they totally pay money to have him read their tarot because he's so good at it, but he, he's unethical. Like, no. Yeah. Well, he won't do it because it's unethical to do it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So Bronwyn, you've got a, a tarot set, haven't you? And I've got a tarot set. I've never given anybody a reading. Have you? I, have you ever tried I, it? Yeah, yeah. And I think you actually have my other, my uh, one of my uh, one of my tarot sets. I think you have my writer. Wait. Did you did you leave a set at my house? I I brought it. I brought because one of the things we were going to do with another podcast was um, try out these different sort of fortune telling methods. So I had a writer Wait deck. And I had a druid animal deck as well that was given to me. <laughs> and one of them was for you and the other one was for Tim. Um, okay. But oh, yeah, I didn't no, realize you left it here. Yeah. But no, I, you know, I was a gothy teenager. So yeah, I did do um, tarot card readings and I really freaked out some of my acquaintances who were with the Salvation Army. <laughs> okay. So it might not be that hard to do a good reading with a little bit of practice. Well, but it also helped that the deck I had was very much based on Greek mythology. So it was really easy to look at the archetypes and the tropes that were within the cards and be like, oh, and learn the cards that way. So if you have, you know, if you're, if a set of the minor arcana, I forget it was the pentacles or the cups were following the story of Psyche and Cupid. Well, you know what the story is. So you can kind of look at the card and guess what's going on it's a little bit harder with the rider weight deck i found right okay so even the cards themselves can kind of lend themselves with the imagery to helping you with the reading yeah absolutely Ooh. it's about you know it's 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 about learning the story so See, that's can... that's really unfortunate because the ones i've liked have been the very minimal ones like the black and white simple images have really kind of made me go, oh, those look a bit different and interesting. But if they're worst for reading, if that, you know, the lack of hints makes it worse, maybe I'm going to have to buy one of those fairy sets or something like that. That's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, that can kind of make it interesting. Um, you can look at sort of those details in a deck and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sort of tell a story about how all this, how all the figures in your reading or in your in the layout of your cards are all women and you build you can build a story about, around that based on mm. what position the card is in this is a card in your pet in the past position or the future position this is a card that's about a decision that you're going to make you know you can kind of you can really stretch it out quite a bit mm. do you remember when we met the tarot card reader in a pub in wellington bronwyn and uh, and what she said about justifying her reading of tarot cards oh god it's been ages since we met the wizard of wellington <laughs> actually you probably do remember because she had a bit of a crush on you i think let's <laughs> <laughs> let's not explore that any further <laughs> all right let i i will i will not say anything more than that but what she said to us that was interesting was the idea that she saw herself as being like a counselor that she was helping people just to explore the avenues open to them in their future, that, you know, the cards are just a method of being able to talk to somebody about what's going on in their lives and and help them to figure out for themselves where they should be going. And the point I made at the time was that it's kind of 
like being a counsellor, but without all the baggage that comes of being a counsellor, like having to be registered and having a code <laughs> of ethics and all that kind of thing. You know, it's it's being able to do this stuff and make money with, with no accountability whatsoever, which doesn't seem like a good thing. When you're playing with people's lives, when you're telling them or at least helping them to figure out where the future's going, you really should be trained in some proper way about how to do this without messing them up. Um, and, I, and, and tarot card doesn't have that. And, but, and I mean, I think that's, you know, but it's how people use the tarot cards. And this is sort of the crux of the problem. Tarot cards can, you know, if you have an agreement between yourself or who you're reading for, or the person's reading for you with them, you know, tarot cards can be entertaining. You know, it can be a way to pass the time and be a bit goofy, be a bit spooky. However, the problem comes when you have bad actors and people who use tarot cards to manipulate and um, fleece money off of people. But I think the other half of the problem is, you know, because tarot cards have this mysticism around them, again, you can sort of have, you can go the opposite direction and you have people who are so afraid of tarot cards that often you have the teenagers who then become isolated from their family because, you know, everyone's afraid that you, Satan's going to come into the household and you end up having a satanic panic. And this is most frequently, at least as we see in the West, a Christian thing, right? That anything that's not of God, it's not, it's nonsense. Often Christians will be like, well, it's of the devil. If it's not of God, you know, if it's Halloween, that's not of God. Therefore, it must be evil. And I just, I just wish more often that Christians would look at this stuff and say, actually, ghosts just aren't real. Not that they are satanic or demonic or anything like that, but they just don't exist. And, and just admit sometimes that not all of this is real stuff. Exactly. Mm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what the journalist does with uh, this uh, response we gave them and uh, see whether they turn it into a worthwhile article or whether it'll be the subject of a future newsletter where we critique what they wrote uh, from what we gave them. Either way, I guess what's been really nice is that they have come to us to ask what we think, and, and that's always a good thing. Indeed. So have we got any meetups coming up? Ooh, I think we'll have our next Skeptics in the pub. Um, the same 30th place. of December, Wellington. Yep, same place, um, 2 Gray Street inside the hotel in the hotel lounge at 6 p.m. Right. At the Intercontinental. At New the night before New Year's Eve? Hmm. Yeah. Yes, not New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, it might be a little bit too busy. Very good. Well, um, I'm hoping to organise an Auckland Skeptics in the pub probably for the second week in uh, January 10th. Cool. And what's the venue you're using at the moment for that one? We use the Dice and Fork at Victoria Park. Nice. Hmm. And, and if it's not the eleventh, if it's not the eleventh, no, and anybody sorry. turns up, we apologise. No, 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 sorry, I was doing the maths wrong in my head. It'll be the. <laughs> 10th of January. So that's a Tuesday. Tuesday, the 10th of January. Mm -hmm. And people will be back from holiday by then. So at least some people. And that venue has been working out for you guys as yeah, a regular spot? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice. we, as I said last time, we got uh, around about uh, 20 people along. Cool. Nice. Yes. We'll see whether that uh, continues in January. All right. Shall we wind it up then? This is our this is our last podcast of 2022. Wow. Oh my goodness! When did we start? Was it February that we started? Are we nearly a year now? Well, if you round up, yes, February to December <laughs> is a year, I suppose. <laughs> nearly a year, I said. It's nearly it. We're getting very close. Yes. Okay. We're going to have some celebration when we've completed a year's worth of podcasts. I I don't know. I I could set off one of those little poppers or something. 
right. party popper helium balloon we need helium balloons for our one year anniversary <laughs> or not unethical. sorry no unethical. it's unethical right celebrate yep. the helium balloons <laughs> maybe you should follow that crunchy mom um, parody tiktok account and see what she recommends for a balloon alternative organic balloon alternative is that the what's her name sue ellen is it uh, or am i thinking it, of a different you, you might be um she, she it's just a really it's a it's a i mean she's sort of a semi crunchy person herself but you know it's just making fun of all those tropes that buying organic you know it's great and all but it's very expensive and you have to be very privileged to get it so oh i see okay okay and, yes, no, the, the one i'm thinking of is uh is a woman who basically has a southern accent and and comes across as just not very smart no, no, okay. no. Which is probably a stereotype of people in the South of the, the US. So the kind of thing we're looking for is how to make your own party balloon out of a paper bag and a coat hanger, that kind of thing? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it would be ethical if we could solve the nuclear fusion in time for our uh, one-year anniversary podcast, and then we could produce our own helium to fill up the balloons. Yes. And to that end, I think the skeptics really need to start investing our money in cold fusion. I believe that has a real future <laughs> and isn't at uh, all a bogus science. No, but it was a pretty good web development technology for a while. I, I, I might celebrate our one year anniversary by buying the um, Haydn expi- inspired tarot card deck. <gasps> oh, Haydn wow. inspired. What, what are the pictures on it? I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't rate them, but I just want the tarot deck because it's Haydn inspired. Is is it all? Is it all naked people? Given that Haydn is doing the the Easter sex cult stuff, or is it less explicit? It looks less explicit at the moment. It looks kind right. of tame. I'll have to send you well, the deck. It's thirty five bucks, which is actually not bad for a tarot card deck. The um, one more thing I wanted to mention was in our investigation tarot today, I came across a New Zealand website called the Woo Woo Shop, mm-hmm. where they sell all manner of um, woo stuff like um, tarot decks. And mm-hmm. it's uh, if you want to have a little giggle, it's um, it's probably worth worth a visit. We should uh, put that in the show notes. So do we think the choice of name is self-aware or just a misunderstanding of what woo-woo means? How did they end up with that name? Maybe we should invite them on the podcast and ask about it. Or maybe they're cynical skeptics that are happy to make money out of people that are looking for tarot cards and crystals. And they're just like, no, screw ethics. We're, we're selling this stuff and, uh, and we're ripping off those who believe it works. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. When I Google it, it looks like it's actually a physical place. Where is it? So, What's the address? Well, it's, in, it's in Whanganui. We can drive there, Mark. We could do. All right. This might be a road trip for us because yeah, the woo-woo we, shop. But we also need to stop by the um, that Pagan Supply Store in, uh, what was it, Featherston? Oh, yes. Yes. And oh, so yes, there's also a yes. crystal shop in Potomac. Oh, so Robin, have you been to that place in Featherston? So there's two. Um, this is the old one. Yeah, there's two. There used to be Jeez. three. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so there's the old one, um, which smells of really bad stale incense because it's been there a long time. Sell really awful crystals and, uh, yeah, rubbish. Um, and the new one is a bit brighter, it's a bit more open. My son has actually gone and brought jewelry from there because it looks like the tree of Gondor. Uh, yeah, again, lots of woo stuff. If, if you know what you're looking for, you can find some pretty good rock samples. But again, everything's very expensive. And 
I haven't really looked into the woo-woo stuff that's in there because I was more interested in the rocks. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good. But, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely worth it. Come and have a look. Um, they seem quite lovely people. It's only open, like, Friday evening and Saturday, Sunday, so that you've got to pick your times. All right, maybe we'll come over a Friday evening soon and we'll do an impromptu skeptics in the pub and visiting the um, the crystal shop in Featherstone. That might be yeah. fun sometime in January. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, awesome. Well, well I, I have visited the Woo Woo Shop site. It is a physical address at uh, 33 Wyatt Ricker Road. That's hard to say. Wyatt Ricker Road in. Um, <laughs> Wonganui or Fonganui, uh, they spell it without the H. Uh, Either so. is correct, apparently. Right. Okay. Um, but yes, that's a physical place. So you guys could go visit that. I guess uh, Fonganui is not that far from Wellington, really, is it? But they're, clo- but they're closed from um, um, they're closed February. Until the 9th, of, 9th yeah. of January. From Friday I was to the there, I was there last Friday in Wonganui, and I, if I'd realized, I would have popped in. Damn. It might be an interesting place to visit. You can have a look at the awesome geology that's out there as well, if you want. Sounds like a much better use of our time. The geology is very interesting. Should we wrap it up? Yeah. I think we should probably finally say goodbye to everybody. Yes. All right. You have been listening to the Year Now podcast. We hope you've enjoyed 2022. We look forward to you joining us again in 2023. And yes, if you want to send us some feedback, you can always write to us uh, to news at skeptics.nz. Have a good one. We will see you next time. Bye. Sayonara. Bye. Thanks for having me. 